Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. All right, you guys, we are back with another show and you're in for a real ride today. I've got Dr. Jolene Brighton on the show today and if you guys haven't heard of her yet, you soon will because she's an absolute powerhouse. Dr. Brighton is a functional naturopathic medical doctor and nutritional biochemist with a focus in women's endocrine health. She is recognized as a leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. Dr. Brighton is the author of Beyond the Pill, a 30-day plan to support women on birth control, help them transition off, and eliminate symptoms of post-birth control syndrome. She's a speaker, woman's health advocate, and a medical advisor for one of the first data-driven apps to offer women personalized birth control recommendations. That's a mouthful. Welcome, <laughs> Dr. Brighton. Thank you for being here. Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. I know, you know, those bios are always the hardest thing. I actually had to have someone else write that because, yeah, my husband kept reading my bio and he's like, why is this, like, why are you just, like, not talking about, like, who you are and what you do? And I'm like, it's a really hard thing to be like, let me do a humble brag in my bio there. So. I know. Or you're like, it all started in a cold, dark day. Like, how far <laughs> yeah. back do you want me to go? Um, totally. So I have to thank you right out of the gate. I first heard heard you on a podcast. This is a couple years ago. And I'm listening to you on the podcast. And, you know, you're, you, you're so fired up when you speak. And then I'm getting <laughs> fired up. And I got so fired up that I literally had to pull my car over to the side of the road because I was crying these, like, deep rage tears because everything you were saying was just, it, I was getting pissed off because you were talking about how common postpartum thyroid issues are. Mm. And you were really saying that every woman should be screened for them after giving birth. And if, if they're left unchecked, they can, it can lead to like serious problems. One of which is autoimmunity, mm -hmm. which is exactly my story. The year after I got, I had my baby, this is four and a half years ago, but I got super sick. I kept going to my doctors. They wouldn't, they kept telling me everything was normal. Didn't even run any type of thyroid testing on me, even though I was the poster child for hypothyroid. And I did end up with an autoimmune disease. And I just wonder, I always go back to that time. And if someone had just listened to me, if somebody had paid attention to what I was saying, I wonder if we could have slowed that process down or done some type of intervention to help me out. Um, I feel like so much of the work that I do is it's fueled by anger. I'm pissed off at a lot of the systems that we have in place because they're broken systems. And for the longest time I saw that anger as something that I had to fix in myself or like my shadow side. And I think listening to you 
it's helped me realize that that anger is really just grist for the mill. And I, I kind of think that's your superpower. Like you talk or you write and in doing so you, you light something else up in women. And that is so, so cool to me. Um, do you listen to rap at all? Dr. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> all right. How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> so you, I was like, you're like old dirty bastard. Cause all we have to do is give uh, you the mic and you can take it away. Like, awesome. I was like, just give this woman a mic, you so, know? For real, whenever I go into um, so uh, filming, like for documentaries or whenever I'm doing film, I always like I so I listen to Jay Z first. I also did that before my um, my uh, book uh, when when you go around and you talk to publishers and you pitch your book, and I will say like I'm gonna Jay Z this. Like that's what I say. I'm gonna Jay Z this. Like one and done. Like his. If people don't know, he steps into the studio, he records his entire song, and it's done. And like, I'm like, I want to be that graceful and masterful of like my presence and not be that person that's like, do over, do over, do over. So I'm always channeling Jay-Z. Old Dirty Bastard is a good one as well. And, you know, you'll see sometimes I like make references. Uh, like, I just can't help it where I will think a phrase and then I'm like, oh, that's totally a rap lyric right there. <laughs> For sure. That's my brain works in like 90s hip hop lyrics. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So post birth control syndrome, I... This is definitely a term that not a lot of folks are familiar with necessarily. So can you explain what the heck it is and why you chose to write an entire book around it? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So post-birth control syndrome is a collection of signs and symptoms that come up after stopping hormonal birth control. And they can come up, you know, on average, it's around like four to six months. Sometimes it's sooner. Sometimes it's later for women. And it's a collection of symptoms. So that can be reproductive issues, like irregular periods, heavy periods, missing periods, or it can be things like neurological issues. So like onset of new migraines, headaches, we can have gut symptoms, we can have skin symptoms. I mean, it really can show up in so many ways. And as we'll talk about, I mean, when you understand that hormonal birth control, while it was designed to only impact the reproductive tract, it actually affects every single system in your body. It's easy to see how all of us women alike, myself included, who used the pill for 10 years, can present in different ways with different side effects while we're on it and different issues when we come off of it. Now, you know, what's really funny about like me writing a book on birth control is I actually spent two years uh, in a homeless youth clinic doing rotations and dispensing birth control at, like every day. Uh, the, every day that I was there, someone was getting a depot shot or passed the pill pack, like that was going on. And the reason for that is this is a really high risk population. These women are at high risk for sexual assault and you know, birth control is absolutely an instrument that they use to safeguard their health. So after two years of that and really observing that I'd be in this clinic. We'd, we'd talk all about that. Then I would go to a conventional medical doctor's clinic and it would be, uh, you're going to college. Here's the pill. See you later. Have a great time. There was no real discussion of what was going on. You know, it struck me as just this really odd thing. Like women aren't being given the whole story. I did 10 years on the pill. And when I came off, I now understand I developed post-birth control syndrome. Lost my period, had cystic acne, and my doctor did a really good job of reinforcing that what I was experiencing, no one else had ever experienced, and that I, you know, my story wasn't accurate. Um, that is something that, you know, much like you were saying about postpartum thyroiditis, you know, I went through that uh, with my son as well. 
had a baby. I'm like, I'm fatigued. I'm gaining weight. I have all these problems. Doctors were like, well, you're a new mom. That's just the way it is. And you know, a lot of that happens in women's medicine where we're just really dismissed uh, in terms of like our stories. It's like, your story doesn't fit my algorithm or the study I read or what I was taught in medical school. Therefore, your story is wrong. It's ridiculous to me. So, you know, the funny thing is, is that when I uh, started my own private practice, I was like, I'm fatigued on birth control. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Done with it. And I told my husband, I'm not doing anything with birth control. If women come into my practice, then I'll just send them to the gynecologist. I don't want anything to do with this, which is hilarious because he reminded me of this as a book came out all about birth control that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, don't don't ever say those things. But, you know, it was in my private practice where I got the reputation of the doctor who believed women's stories about birth control. And I will never forget how odd it was when, you know, a patient would call and say, hey, I want to make an appointment with Dr. Brayton. I heard she's the doctor that believes women's birth control stories. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, don't like it's your story. Like, don't people believe it? And when women got into my practice and we'd have these long conversations, I came to realize that they would talk about side effects with their doctor and their doctor would tell them, no, that's not real. It's probably something else like or no, there's no study to support that. It's probably something else or they would come off of birth control for the first time in their life, have no period or first time in their life, develop acne or have a return of symptoms that they were given the pill to treat. And their doctor's only solution would be go back on birth control or take a different medication. Medication 100% has a time and place and it's always your right to choose birth control for contraceptive purposes or for, you know, managing symptoms. If that's what you choose, that is, you know, something that as a doctor, I think that we should support. But I also think that we should get the full story about what is going on and that in women's medicine, like we just need to be trusting women and trusting their story. And you may have heard me say this before, that we don't need to wait on studies to validate women's experience. Like, there are women all over. So, you know, as I, it was like, oh, wow. What, my first thing was like, it's not just me who struggled to come off the pill. And then I started to observe that like the majority of women struggle to come off of hormonal birth control and they have issues that arise. And then I got on the internet and I'm like, wow, there's all these women telling these same stories. And then I looked in the research and I'm like, oh, wow, there are decades worth of research outlining how these problems can and do arise. And yet we're still being dismissed about this. Well, it's crazy that you stood out as a doctor who believed women's stories. Like, that's not the norm. Like, that's that's crazy to me, and it's sad. Like, that you're an anomaly because you actually listen to women. What the yeah. heck is going on? It's bizarre, right? Um, it is. And it's something, you know, I had a medical doctor say to me, and um, it really was a helpful insight. He said, you know, whatever we get taught in residency is indoctrinated in us. It becomes the gospel. And, you know, to get a doctor to change their mind um, based on what they were taught in residency is going to take a whole lot of research studies, a whole lot of evidence. And even then, they might still be married to that that other idea and not willing to change, which is, you know, the opposite of science. <laughs> that is dogma. And um, I'm not bagging on religion, but that's 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 religious philosophy. That's not scientific philosophy. So, you know, that's that's something that's really problematic. And I think that a lot of doctors have been taught that birth control is this gift and it fixes every female problem. And I call it the pill for every female ill. And, you know, if you believe that, if you believe that this pill will fix this woman's problem, why wouldn't you prescribe it to her? 
Like, of course you would, because as a doctor, all you want is for your patient to get better. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk that goes around where people are like, your doctor is an idiot and they're betraying you and they hate you and like they work for you and you should bully them. And it's like, no, your doctor is really invested in the health of their patients. That's why they went to medical school and they gave up more than a decade of their life. Like, the reality is, is that they've been taught something different. And, you know, a lot of times when we're getting frustrated with a doctor, we forget that like, you know, doctors are not a one size fit all. Like, you know, you don't go to a cardiologist and ask them to help you with your gut health. So it's kind of the same as true of like, don't go to the gynecologist, or the PCP and ask them to do root cause medicine. They're more of a, you know, screening, acute care triage, like they have their place. They're excellent doctors. And the analogy I use is like, if you go to the sandwich shop, but you want ice cream and you're demanding ice cream and you're yelling at the, the sandwich maker to give you ice cream, they're never going to give you ice cream and you're both going to get really frustrated and that relationship's going to degrade rapidly. If you just went to the ice cream shop, you get exactly what you want and you need. The same is true if you go to your primary care physician. And so a lot of women are going to read my book, Beyond the Pill. I set it up so you'll be more educated to enter into a discussion with your doctor. Going to them, you can get the lab testing, you can get the investigation. But if you've got like a chronic condition going on and you really want somebody who's going to spend an hour with you doing a consult and like, you know, be bringing in dietary therapies like you know most conventional doctors don't have more than a quarter uh and like by by a quarter i mean one quarter of their entire medical education is dedicated to nutrition so like they're the sandwich shop and you want ice cream you just need to go to the ice cream shop which is you know finding a naturopathic doctor or finding a uh you know um, functional medicine doctor Someone who works in this root cause medicine, that's going to help you be able to get what you need. And it doesn't mean you throw out your PCP or your gynecologist. They still have a very important role to play in your healthcare. That's such a good point. You know, I, I am a functional nutritionist and people come to me and I'm like, I'm not an MD. You know, I'm, I'm not going to replace all of the other people. I'm just part of your team. You know, you need you need a team in place. So I love all of that because I think people are getting discouraged with their doctors. And um, we have to remember that they're just working within you know, working with the tools that they have in their arsenal. Mm -hmm. um, something you had said was uh, going back to the pill was um, managing symptoms. And one of the more shocking things that I read in your book was that almost 60% of women taking the pill have been prescribed it for symptom management. So like mm -hmm. people aren't taking the pill for pregnancy prevention. More than half of people are actually taking it for another reason. So can you speak a little bit more to that? Totally. And that is something, you know, we have to recognize the, you know, the history of the pill. And there's other books out there that uh, I don't go into the history of birth control in my book because it's been done. Other people have talked about that. But when you look at it kind of from a medical perspective, the pill was given, it was introduced and given to young, healthy women in order to space pregnancies or delay pregnancies. And it was around, you know, the time when I was of age to begin birth control that the whole thing began to shift and it became a situation where it was like the pill is something that can fix all of your problems. And I talk about that in um, my book about how uh, you know, they were marketing birth control on TV and saying that it would fix your PMS. 
there was no study to support that it would fix your PMS and it was never approved for that. Yeah. And it is like, I think it's just really bizarre that commercials exist on TV. Um, and to tell us about like what drugs we should ask our doctor for. Like I, this is something that like doctors are equally frustrated about because they're like, I don't need you coming to me being like, this commercial said that this would fix my problems is like, well, can we first investigate what's going on? You know, that's things really started to shift um, in the 90s where, you know, we were being prescribed the pill for symptoms. And so when you look at it, it's some reports are as high as 65 percent are primarily taking hormonal birth control for symptom management. And, you know, others, the, uh, the study I cite is 58%. And it's for things like irregular periods, heavy periods, painful periods is like at the top of the charts there, but also acne. Acne is about like 14% are given the pill to treat acne. And so, you know, well, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, there's no shame on you if you use birth control to treat your acne. Like that's totally your choice. But there's also a root cause to these things. And I think as clinicians, we do a disservice when we pass the pill without any discussion about what might be going on. And that includes things like delaying the diagnosis of PCOS or endometriosis and having women find this out, you know, in their 30s. I mean, this was also something that like early in practice, I got pretty bitter about that. Like here came this woman in her 30s. She was on the pill all along. She wants to have a baby. She comes off of it. And I'm looking at her in my office being like, well, you've had PCOS this whole time. No one told her that at 14 when they put her on birth control. Now I had to be the first person to tell her you have PCOS. We actually don't know if you're going to be able to get pregnant. Like we're going to do everything we can, but like you are in your 30s now. You've had this inflammatory metabolic disorder that's been allowed to progress. Your labs aren't looking great. Let's come in. Let's root cause this business. Let's do what we can. But we have to be honest about this conversation. And I was like, why am I the one that has to tell this woman 20 years later this information when her doctor could have at least mentioned to her and like done some testing and worked her up so that she could be in the know around this? You know, another thing that kind of uh, caught my attention in your book was, um, it's just a random stat, but I it really drew, it caused me to be like, huh, you said that women who start the pill before age 16 are nine times more likely to develop vulvodynia. I, I have clients with vulvodynia, so I think that's why I latched onto this one. I see how debilitating that that type of pain can be. And these mm -hmm. are the women that will literally do anything to get out of pain. They're like, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. But here's the deal. They can't go back in time 20 or 30 years and make a different decision. And mm -hmm. it's the, the thing you keep talking about. It's no one's telling you not to go on birth control. We just want you to make an informed decision. And mm -hmm. the, the information is the piece that's lacking. Nobody is told that like, hey, in, in a few decades, you might have some major, major malfunctions because you're on the pill for so long. And I think it just frustrates me that, you know, essentially children, you know, 14-year-old, that's a child. Children mm -hmm. are being put on this hormone-altering medication, irrespective of sexual activity, and that there are some medical professionals that don't just condone this, but they actually, it's, it seems like they're almost pushing it. At, like you said, it's like the answer to everything. And I think as a parent, you could probably agree with this, we feel so vulnerable when it comes to our children's health. If we, we just put our trust, we hand over our trust to medical professionals sometimes. And I've he heard parents say to me, well, her doctor told us that she needed the pill for X, Y, and Z. And they, we almost say it like it's the word of God. And I think sometimes we put doctors and other medical professionals in this position to play God. 
and I think one of the things that you do that I love so much is teaching women that we actually have the power in the wisdom to question our doctors or to ask for more, you know, for more information so we can make the right decision rather than just take, take it, you know, you know, just as the, as the word of God, I guess. And I, I think it's so important to note that when you start messing around with hormones, especially at such a young, young age, they can have long-term consequences from, from top to tail. So can you talk about some of those? So I just mentioned vulvodynia, which is like kind of a very obscure, random one, but... It's not though. I mean, if you read my story, like I had, I had pain with sex. I had chronic yeast infections and nobody like, so for you people, if you haven't read Beyond the Pill, I talk about my vagina in that book. <laughs> and it was, um, I mean, it wasn't like an easy thing to write. And I actually went back and forth so many times and being like, do I put this in there? I don't want to put this in there. Like, I don't want to be that vulnerable. But I realized, you know, you got to practice what you preach. You tell women to share their stories because you never know who read your story and heal and also know that you're not alone. Like, how long did I feel alone in my journey? Because nobody talked about this. This is the stuff we're not supposed to talk about. And so we all need to be talking about it a whole lot more um, because it's something that you feel ashamed of. You feel ashamed that like you have you have uh, vaginal pain, you're having, you know, pain with intercourse, painful orgasms, you have no libido, and yet it could be because of hormonal birth control. Um, you know, the other issues is that, so I do want to say though that like, um, you will see me say, like, be a troublemaker. I mean, that is uh, something that I encourage women, like, to question everything. And I tell them, even question what I'm saying through the lens of, is it true for you? Because there is a lot of true information out there, but it may not be true for you. And you have to really maintain keeping the reins on your health. And you know, to what you're saying, like I, my kid has, uh, you know, he has an autoimmune condition that's impacting his brain right now. And it's something that like I advocate fiercely for him going through that. But, you know, if I didn't go through my 20s of relinquishing my power over and over, especially in the medical paradigm, would I be as fierce of an advocate for my son? And so, Let's recognize that like there is no uh, there's nothing to gain in shaming your past self. There's only things to gain from seeing that like that was a necessary part of the journey to get the lessons that you needed so that you can handle what's coming in the future. Now, with birth control and birth control related side effects, you know, a big thing that we're not told about is that it depletes nutrients. So things like selenium, zinc, magnesium, folate, B12, CoQ10, other antioxidants. And so it's very important that if you start hormonal birth control that you be on a multivitamin or prenatal and that you have your diet as dialed in as possible to so be eating plenty of leafy green vegetables. I mean, diet is always the foundation, but if you're on a medication that depletes nutrients, it's well recognized that you're going to need to take something like a supplement to replenish those nutrient stores. The other issues that like, you know, have actually been documented in the research for quite a bit of time, but not a lot of people are talking about is, you know, the impact on thyroid health that it can, you know, by nutrient depletions alone, it can impact your ability to synthesize and utilize thyroid hormone. Um, but in addition to that, we know that birth control raises proteins that bind onto hormones. So sex hormone binding globulin, thyroid binding globulin, cortisol binding globulin. So that's going to impact your thyroid and your adrenal health. That's why there's a whole chapter on this in my book. We've also come to understand that it's not so good for your microbiome and your microbiome is pretty much everything. And I've been in the health and wellness industry for long enough that 
you know, I remember when we were being taught that the microbiome was a bunch of freeloaders that made a little bit of vitamins <laughs> for you, but didn't do much else. And, you know, if you were giving probiotics, so even, you know, just over 10 years ago, if you were giving probiotics, you were a crazy person. You were a quack. There was no evidence of this. Then studies came out. <clears throat> and the next thing we see is that, you know, doctors are like, oh, of course I get probiotics. Like, why wouldn't you get probiotics? And it's like, can you take a minute with a little bit of humility to recognize that you were hating on everybody before <laughs> on that? I mean, the same thing is true with like intestinal hyperpermeability. And I talk about in my book about how like, there are people lining up to say that post-birth control syndrome isn't real. To, and people, people have asked me, like, what do you say to them? I say to them, go tell her and her and her and the thousands upon thousands of women who have reported this, that what they're experiencing is not real. Because just because you don't have a study that said that one single term and used it, doesn't mean this woman's experience is not real. And, you know, with the case of intestinal hyperpermeability, what was, it's more commonly known as leaky gut. You were a crazy person if you talked about leaky gut. There are still people, like I, I have a friend who is um, a gut expert and he had a book come out and we were talking about, um, you know, like just things people say to us. And he was like, oh yeah, just last week I had somebody say, leaky gut is not medically recognized. That's not real and you're a quack. Okay, so this dude is a medical doctor who wrote this book and like talks about leaky gut as intestinal hyperpermeability. There's still people spinning that same dogma. Go to PubMed. Intestinal hyperpermeability is well recognized. And so we have to understand that like medicine can be really quick to dismiss things that they don't understand, which is crazy to me <laughs> that I'm like, wait a minute, we're supposed to be scientists. Like you should actually be a lot more curious, a lot more humble. You should try to disprove your beliefs because they never really had a place in science to begin with. Um, and why I bring up this intestinal hyperpermeability is that birth control has been recognized to cause leaky gut. And so this is something where like, okay, so you're on birth control, now you're having side effects and you are developing a condition that there are still people saying is not real. It's crazy to me. Um, and in all of that, you know, what it's doing to the gut, that's going to impact your mood. It's going to impact, you know, inflammation, immune system regulation, and it may be playing a role in the development of autoimmune disease as I talk about in the gut check chapter. You know, there's a lot of ways that hormonal birth control impacts our body and it's something that we have to recognize it impacts every single system. And while, you know, there are, you know, I, I don't know if you remember seeing the 2016 study come out around birth control and the correlation with depression and it was like over a million women and they found that 23%, you were 23% more likely to be prescribed an antidepressant if you started hormonal birth control. And um, <clears throat> that was the combination pill specifically. And people were quick to say, well, that's correlation. That's not causation. Therefore, birth control is not involved in this. And like, that's not what's going on. And I'm like, hold up. Since the introduction of hormonal birth control, mood symptoms have been reported. They're reported in every clinical trial. They're reported as a side effect in the package insert. Yet you're going to tell these women that they're just crazy. It's just in their head. And that... By no means did this medication impact them. And you, we can use a little bit of logic to like kind of reverse engineer like this thinking and help help people come around to this is like, you know, <clears throat> a doctor will say to a woman, you have PMS or your hormones are causing your anxiety or your depression or your mood symptoms. Therefore, I will give you hormonal birth control to try to regulate that. Then when that same woman says, 
you know, hormonal birth control or maybe a different woman who didn't have mood symptoms before and saying, I started hormonal birth control. It's the only thing I changed. And now I'm having these mood symptoms. Then they say, oh, well, that there's no study to show that's true. So therefore it can't be correlated. Like that makes no sense. And then we break down the mood, <clears throat> the way I frame it to doctors is like, there's really two predominant theories of depression. One is the serotonin theory of depression, that you don't make enough serotonin. Okay, so if that's what you, that's what you, the theory you subscribe to, that she is depressed because she has inadequate serotonin, then you can certainly understand that she's on a medication that depletes all the nutrients she needs to actually make serotonin. And in addition to that, studies have said that you need more tryptophan while you're on the pill because there's tryptophan metabolism issues. This is how we make serotonin. And the tryptophan pathway doesn't work correctly in the brain when a woman's on the pill. Okay, that could be one explanation. And then what was really cool is a study came out and showed, you know, it really reinforced the cytokine theory of depression, which is inflammation is the root cause of depression. Well, we know hormonal birth control is inflammatory. So if that's the theory that you subscribe to, then you can understand that when a woman is taking the pill, that inflammation disrupts the, the, the process in her brain of making neurotransmitters and really working correctly altogether. And this study showed that women actually make neurotoxins in their brain, toxic metabolites to their brain tissue while they're on hormonal birth control. So I don't think you need a study at this point to say birth control causes this. We've got a lot of potential theories of why it could be involved. And I don't think we need to wait for a study to believe that patient and to give her adequate care. Well, you know, it's like so starkly juxtaposed against male birth control, which you talk about a little bit in your book, why that never became a thing. Because men were having symptoms and we're like, mm -hmm. oh, they, and, and, and you know, people listen to men. You know, it's the, they listen to the fact that they were having symptoms. Totally. And it was like deemed unacceptable that a man have these lower rates of depression. Yet in the same quarter that the male birth control trial was halted, uh, the female, uh, you know, the female birth control, the <laughs> like, what's the other one that's out there? Um, an IUD was released with higher side effects of depression. And like, I get it. So we can get really upset about that because that is definitely a bias. I definitely wouldn't advocate. I have a six-year-old son. I would not advocate for giving him, you know what, uh, Dr. Laura Brighton said it best. She said it's essentially hormonal castration. I mean, you take, you, you take hormonal birth control and it's stopping your ovaries from working. And that's, you know, what they saw as like, okay, potentially male birth control is messing with your hormones in that way. Um, but with that, it's also a business decision. Like if the society's story goes that, the burden of an unwanted pregnancy is a woman's responsibility solely and that, you know, she's the one that has to manage that. Then, you know, if that's the story that's being told and you're going to come out with a pharmaceutical that can help be effective in preventing pregnancy, but the man has to use it and it's causing all these side effects, he's probably not going to buy it. He's probably not going to buy it because... One, he doesn't want to have the side effects. He doesn't have the same fear that us women get. And that's not to say men don't carry their own burdens, but like we are, I mean, how many of us have been told that you can get pre pregnant any time of the month? I mean, we, we are scared and we, you know, what I set out to do in Beyond the Pill is to try to give you information in a way that didn't induce fear and didn't give fear as the reason to make a decision because there's too many of us in women's medicine that make that decision based on fear. And so, you know, with that, 
it's totally a business decision on their part. Why would you continue can you know continue a trial and develop a pharmaceutical that's really really expensive to do if you don't think you have a customer for it? So as much as like I do want to get like what like that's so biased. <laughs> at the same time, like we have to stand back and also say, well, we live in a capitalistic market. Like there are, there are other influences that come into play in these decisions that they make. For sure. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about missing periods. Um, I see this just because I, you know, I diet culture at its finest. We're telling women you have to be skinny and you got to starve yourself to get there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of women are, are dramatically under eating, malnourished, and they lose their periods. And, and some people don't acknowledge what a big deal it is. Some people I've, you know, a lot of girls or women will think, well, I don't even want to have kids. So cycles don't, don't really matter. But your cycle, your period is now considered the fifth vital sign, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that it's was, a major deal. Yeah. And that's ACOG. I mean, that's the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. That's conventional doctors are like, your period is that important. But they came out with that and I think it was 2015. And so understand that it's going to be like 2025 and there's still going to be doctors that are going to say that your menstrual cycle is not important, that your periods mean nothing because it takes a long, long time for, you know, guidelines and studies to make their way into clinical practice and for a doctor to really adopt those. Um, so, I mean, absolutely. Like your period is, it gives you such vital and valuable information. If somebody has an irregular period or a completely missing period, now you go into a lot of details, you guys, there's, this book is a huge resource. There's so many checklists and quizzes and you can really navigate it based on what's going on for you, what's right for you and your body. But if somebody's dealing with this, would you, or even if somebody's coming off of the pill or is there certain hormonal testing? This is a question I get often, certain hormonal testing that you would recommend for people if things are just really wonky with their cycle? Mm -hmm. So I go through this um, in my book. There's so many labs that I list in there and it's because I really want you to be able to enter into a discussion with your doctor a lot more educated. You're going to be a lot more successful in getting your needs met when you are communicating to them in a way that they can understand. Now with, you know, I, and I do go through missing periods and post-pill amenorrhea is a common symptom of post-birth control syndrome. Amenorrhea just means missing period. And absolutely, you know, it can be because you don't have enough caloric intake. Um, you know, I'm a kid of the 90s. Like Kate Moss was the body we were supposed to aspire to be. I'm curvy. I'm never going to have Kate Moss's body. Like more power to Kate Moss. You're beautiful. But like for me, I have to accept where I'm at. And so I think, uh, you know, we are seeing millennials reject the uh, diet culture more and more. So that, I mean, that's definitely a piece. But the other thing we've come to understand is that if you had regular periods, so 28-day cycles, before you started birth control, then when you come off, we can expect it can take about three months for you to get your period back. If you had irregular cycles, that is, you know, maybe you had PCOS or hypothyroidism, there, uh, you, your periods, you never knew when they were coming, it can take you up to six months to get your period back. So the research says if they were regular, check her at three months. If, it, if after three months it doesn't come back, do lab testing. If they were irregular, check her after six months of no period. In my practice, I'm like, if you're at month two, we need to start investigating. And so understand that like we do, you know, we want to recognize that like lab testing may be expensive um, for women because their insurance may not cover it. And so we may want to wait the good three months to do 
FSH, LH, those are brain hormones to understand how the brain is communicating to the ovaries. Getting, uh, you know, estradiol and that's your estrogen, getting progesterone and checking these and, and testosterone certainly important as well, but checking these hormones to see, you know, what is going on? How is your brain communicating to your ovaries and what are your ovaries saying? But, you know, sooner than that, you can get other lab testing done. So getting a full thyroid panel, if your period's not coming back, you know, the same mechanism that causes your TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone to rise also causes prolactin to rise and that's a breastfeeding hormone that can cause lactation but that can be elevated just enough to shut down a period so it can be that and and, you know hypothyroidism and period problems totally go hand in hand it's why every woman should be having her thyroid screened every single year and if you start having any kind of period problems get it checked again and you need a full thyroid panel with that so TSH, free T4, free T3. Um, Reverse T3 is excellent, but not every doctor knows how to interpret that. And then TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies are something I screen in patients every year um, because you never know. I mean, autoimmunity is going to come up first. The antibodies will rise. The symptoms come later. And in some autoimmune conditions, those antibodies are up. And we expect 10 years later, the disease uh, onset. So um, it's an important part of screening. And you can start looking at like your prolactin. You know, that's another reason. There's a, uh, it's a benign brain tumor known as a prolactinoma that can cause you to lose your period. And while it's benign, it can grow to the size where it affects your vision. And it's definitely something like you want to know if that's what you're dealing with. So there's several tests that you can do to understand, you know, what is going on in your body. And then timing of those, you know, can just depend. I think that every woman, if you hit month three and there's no period after the pill, get your hormones tested. And you may even want to go the route of doing a Dutch test and seeing, you know, what's going on. What I like about the Dutch Complete is that you can see the total hormones, you can see the hormone metabolites, which I talk a lot about estrogen metabolites in the uh, birth control uh, detox 101 chapter. I always want to say the liver chapter because that's what I called it. <laughs> but my publishers were like, no, they're, they're really good at looking out for the reader. And they're like, nobody wants to read liver de- like liver chapter. I'm like, OK, OK, you're right. Um, it's got to be a little more like sensational. Um, <laughs> so uh, but with that, like looking at the metabolites and then also looking at adrenal function. So when I talk about hormones, it's important to understand that like the foundation of your hormonal health is really like when we're looking at the OAT access so it's the ovary adrenal thyroid access that foundation is your adrenal glands and if that foundation's not right then what you're going to see is that then we start to have issues with thyroid and then at the tippy top are those sex hormones and they will just topple off and so um you know sometimes people will say well the foundation is like maybe insulin well insulin and adrenals they go hand in hand insulin adrenals blood sugar regulation they're all friends until they're not and then it's drama it's like being back in high school everybody's talking about everybody behind their back (laughs) and they're all bickering (laughs) um so you know you have to you have to be looking at a complete picture and understanding that like even things like um you know, gut dysfunction. If if your issue is is that you have um, you have malabsorption and possibly an infection in your gut, well, you can try to treat your. You know, I have women that are like, I take Vitax. Like I took Vitax and like my period didn't come back. I did seed cycling. My period didn't come back. And then we discover, well, okay, so you actually have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You have leaky gut and you have a parasite. Right now, your body's getting a solid signal that the environment is not safe. And if that's what's going on, like one way to keep you safe is to shut down reproductive health. Like that's energetically expensive. So we can withdraw that. And also your body is always having your back and it's like, 
girl, if the environment is safe or not safe, then like having a pregnant belly could be big trouble because, you know, your body isn't evolved enough to understand that like you're stressed out because you commute in traffic and like you have a mean boss. Your body doesn't know that. Your body knows that like you are stressed out all the time and like you are, you constantly are hitting that fight or flight mode. And then like you add like over exercising on it or like just strenuous exercise. If your whole life is stress and then your exercise is stress, that's a big problem. But then your body's like, okay, so we are constantly in danger, constantly under threat and we're running all the time. Like there must be like a tiger or lion, something in our environment. We cannot get pregnant. Babies are noisy. They attract predators. Like you can't run away from a predator when you're pregnant. And so understand that like a big component of fertility and getting your period back is signaling to your body every day that the environment is safe. I love that so much because another thing that tells your your body that you're not safe is under eating. And I keep coming back to this because, yeah. you know, it's a big one um, for so many of the women that I see. And, and, you know, I'll work with women to increase calories and they're like, yeah, but why is my period coming back? Or why am I not getting pregnant? It's like, it takes time for your body. If, if, if your body has felt unsafe for so long, it's going to take a little bit of time to unwind that. It, you, it really needs to trust you. Like, I got your back this time. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you had mentioned the Dutch te- test, which is urine test do you prefer clinically urine to saliva or blood do you or you just like whatever your doctor will do just go with that one well, you know, we know that blood is not the best for hormones. And especially as we understand that, like, I mean, progesterone itself can fluctuate um, during the day. If that's all your doctor is willing to do or all you can get access to, it's better than nothing. You have to have, as I outlined in the book, if you do have a period, you need to have day specific testing. You know, I'll get doctors that write me and they're like, why is it you recommended like this patient have her testing on day three of her period and then another one on day 21? And I'm like, because that's how the menstrual cycle works. This is when we can catch things and understand things and really give her the best uh, amount of information. Now, brain hormones, FSH and LH and, you know, thyroid stimulating hormone and ACTH, which is your how your brain signals to your cortisol or your cortisol to your uh, uh, your adrenal glands to make cortisol. Those are going to be a blood test. The thyroid panel is going to be a blood test. So, you know, those things are going to be a blood test, sex hormone binding globulin. Uh, so, you know, the some things you're going to do with blood, and that's definitely, it's like the only way to do it and the preferred way to do it. Um, when it comes to, you know, saliva, I think that can be, you know, there is benefits to using saliva. Um and, you know, it can be helpful. What I like about the Dutch test is that one, it's forgiving in terms of like, if you miss, if you miss like, uh, you know, reading in one day, you can pick it up the next day. Um, but the other thing is that you're getting more information about the metabolite. So other than just hormones, um, which the, you know, they have melatonin there as well, but they have, um, these uh, actual metabolites that tell us about neurotransmitters. So epinephrine, norepinephrine. So sometimes women are like, I'm having a lot of anxiety. I don't think it's my hormones. Um, My progesterone was tested. They said it's normal. My cortisol was tested. They said it was normal. And then it's like, well, have you checked into your epi and norepi? These are fight or flight hormones. They're like, oh no. I'm like, yeah, you're you can actually be kicking out those from your adrenal glands. It's still an adrenal dysfunction that's taking place. Um, And in addition, the other thing I like about the Dutch test is that they show cortisol versus cortisone. So cortisone is inactive. Cortisol is active. And so, you know, a long time ago, it was like we were doing these tests. So I did a lot of salivary cortisol testing and, you know, people would have really low cortisol. And so you would think like, and you correlate with their symptoms and you're like, okay, I need to like support them in getting their cortisol up. 
now that we can see cortisol versus cortisone, I have times where I find people have low cortisol, but they have higher cortisone. Why is their body doing that? Because if you try to push more cortisol, they're going to start aging at the cellular level rapidly and they don't have enough DHEA going on, which is another adrenal hormone, which is also a precursor of estrogen and testosterone. So with that in mind, like that's a really useful thing to see is like, why would your body be putting the brakes on cortisol? Like, why would it be shifting it into cortisol? Sometimes it's a thyroid issue going on. And, you know, really trying to ramp up cortisol is not what we want to do. Like, you're fatigued because you need to sleep. I know it's a novel idea, <laughs> but, you know, it's something that, like, in our society, and I think especially as women, it's ingrained to us that, like, can't stop, won't stop, go, go, go. And you, like, feel like, oh, yeah, I'm tired, but. I'm a full-time, you know, working mom. Like, I, you know, I work and I'm a mom and I have all these things to do. And like, I shouldn't be tired. I should be able to keep going. You know, the same story plays out with the menstrual cycle. All of women come to me and they're like, you know, a couple of days of my period, I'm like kind of tired. And I'm like, well, kind of. Let's put it on a scale of one to 10. Like, what are you? Oh, like I'm like a four or five compared to average. Okay. So, and like, why is this a problem? We go through it. I'm like, okay, so you're about to shed an entire organ that you just spent a month growing. Like, it's not unrealistic to think that you might need to pull back your energy that like, yeah, maybe you're going to skip that spin class that day. Don't judge yourself. That's not a problem. Like you needed to rest. And so, you know, sometimes we forget that, you know, some of these issues that we have is just like we need to rest and we need to respect the body. I mean, the same is true. Like why I recommend a reverse T3 is because, you know, in that thyroid testing, I'll look if your reverse T3 is high, like and you're hypothyroid and you've got, you know, low T3, the answer is not to give you a medication. The answer is, why like that's the answer okay wait why and then we have to dig deeper because if reverse t3 is high it's because your body is trying to get you to hibernate so it's going to try to get you to slow down that's usually because there's something to heal and if you just throw thyroid medication on that you can crash somebody they can feel a whole lot worse because the body is not going to let you drive yourself into the grave oh man i um whenever i send this has happened 100% of the time that I've sent uh, some of my clients to their PCP to get that a full thyroid panel done, including a reverse T3. And they are always told that that value is useless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Except that you get you, into the research and you find that they measured reverse T3 in people who have been in motor vehicle accidents and like severe accidents and found that the higher that is, the higher the probability of death. Like, because the body was so hard trying to get you to like, just hibernate and recover. So there is research out there on reverse T3. It's just not likely something that your doctors read because it's not something they're told to pay attention to and they're not taught in their training. So since we're talking about testing, one more question. If somebody is currently on birth control, would it make sense for them to get tested or is that going for their hormones tested or will that show false, you know, that with inaccurate readings? You should continue to monitor your cortisol levels, your um, your melatonin, I think, is, is useful data because melatonin is, it's not just a sleep hormone, it's actually protective against the, you know, development of cancer, things like, um, uh, you know, breast cancer, for instance, which birth control raises the risk of. Getting thyroid, you should definitely still continue to monitor your thyroid, but when it comes to estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, it's not really worth your time or the money to get that tested. And the reason is, is that while you're on hormonal birth control, you know, the, the way the pill works is to give you a high enough dose of hormones that it shuts down your brain and ovaries from communicating. 
you're not going to see like normal estrogen levels. You shouldn't see progesterone because you're not ovulating. And we know it's going to shut down testosterone production by as much as 50% and then gobble up the rest. So it's not totally useful values. You can monitor um, the metabolites of estrogen and see what you're doing with it. And so you can see like is it 2, 4, or 16 hydroxyestrone that you're making and that can be helpful. But if you're on hormonal birth control, you know, it's something that like I, I tell women in my practice, like you got to eat cruciferous vegetables. Like you, we've got to have that coming in. We've got to have high quality protein. We have to support the liver metabolism and give it the things that we know are going to help make the best metabolites. And, you know, things that help with that are like DIM, um, which you get from cruciferous vegetables if you have enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach. Um, and if you can tolerate hydrochloric, or excuse me, um, if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, you probably can't tolerate those. And the same is true with SIBO. And that's why I talk about broccoli sprouts in my book. And then I also talk about supplementation as well, because sometimes that's going to be the best bet for women. So if somebody's listening to the show right now and is on birth control, you don't have to freak out. You can just go pick up that book and it'll walk you through some of the things to do to support your body. Um, I had a couple of listener questions that are kind of quick. Nanolifter asked, what can I do to help my body rebalance after stopping the pill? I'm just going to say buy the book because it's literally what the book covers (laughs) (laughs) from start to finish. Um, Anna Hart's Life asked, I've, she's never taken the pill, but um, she does have some hormone issues. Can she follow your protocol? Oh, absolutely. So when you get into chapter one of the book, I'm going to take you through a quiz to help you understand which of your hormones are most likely the troublemaker and imbalanced. And so with that, when you approach the quiz, you want to approach it from what are my number one symptoms I'm concerned about? If I went to my doctor and I wanted to, and I I was going to ask for help, what would I ask for help with? And I say that because some women have been writing and saying, I'm so confused. I checked every single box. And I'm like, okay, there's literally no way that you're like checking every single box because some of them actually like counter each other. And, you know, I'll ask like, okay, so like, so you have headaches all the time? And they're like, well, I have headaches like a couple times a year. Okay, that's not your predominant symptom. That's not what you go to your doctor for. So make sure you're checking, you know, those boxes. And then, you know, what I tell women is, so this will help you get dialed in to your hormone imbalance. But if you are trying to interpret your own symptoms, sometimes it's like holding a book that's too close to your face. Like you have all the information you need, but you're having a hard time interpreting it. And that, that feels true for you because you're brand new to all of this and hormones are complicated. Then you go through the protocol and you do, you can do the diet um, and the lifestyle therapies and then you can do the supplements uh, if that feels right for you that are recommended for everyone and then come back and reevaluate again. This book is not designed to be like a, <laughs> a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, <laughs> like as we talked about 90s hip hop, but it's meant to be a guide that you reference over and over that you are like, oh, something's starting to happen. Something's coming up. Let me go back to the book. See like what's going on. What should I talk to my doctor about? What can I change about my diet? What can I change about my lifestyle? Like, do I need to bring in a supplement and really start to navigate some of this on your own? And so the book is called Beyond the Pill because it's meant to give solutions beyond birth control. So I know you can go to your doctor and say, I have this lady part problem. And they'll say, I have a pill for that. I know that you can have that uh, uh, option available to you. And I want to teach you how to stay safe if you choose that option. But at the same time, I also wanted to give you that information of like, well, what else could it be? Beyond birth control, what else could you do in your life? And and how can you use those together or go a different path um, altogether? And so 
I think a lot of women, because pills in the title, that women will say, well, I've never done the pill or it's been a really long time. So, you know, is this book for me? Or I'm using an IUD, so this book must not apply to me. I'm like, well, that is synthetic progestin in there, which is the same synthetic progestin in the pill. And I talk a lot about that. Like, trust me, I got you. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll echo that because I was on the pill for one year of my life, you know, many moons ago, and I still got so much out of this book. I mean, totally, totally worth it. So speaking of the book, you have some pretty sweet bonuses. If you guys go to beyondthepillbook.com, you can pick up, you can get the book and also some of the bonuses. Do you want to tell, um, tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, I also want to say that like wherever you buy the book and then any version, you can get access to these bonuses. So um, women keep asking, they're like, I got Audible. I didn't get the actual book. I'm like, so go ahead, <laughs> get the bonuses, go for it. So, um, you know, in those bonuses, we've got five exclusive interviews um, with experts. I really, you know, they're all phenomenal. I love the one with Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who is a psychologist who takes us through a complete reframe on anxiety and emotional you know symptoms that we might present with which is super super empowering there's also a grocery shopping list um recipes you can get a supplement guide and I also give a guide on nutrient depletion so that if you are on hormonal birth control right now you can know what foods to be eating to build your nutrient stores you also find you know, a lab guide and there's going to be other things like you know hormone friendly kitchen swaps of things you can swap out in your kitchen to help optimize your hormones Awesome. So it's basically going to give you guys the the cliff notes to everything we just talked about and way more. Um, all right, Dr. Brighton, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at drbrighton.com. That's D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. I have a ton of information and resources that I share there. I'm also at Dr. Jolene Brighton on Instagram. And then you can find me on YouTube as well because I know we all learn differently and it can be helpful to get a three-minute video and get in and get out on your health questions. Your YouTube videos are great. They're like little snacks that pack a big punch. <laughs> yeah. I'm mixing I to, my metaphors, but... Uh, I yeah, think. I just try to get in and get out. I'm like, yeah. okay, like I've got a hormone problem. And that's like how I wrote the book as well. Like the publishers, you know, bless them. They're like, um, you know, we want, every, we want to encourage everybody to read this book from front to back. And I'm like, okay, yes, I will write it that way. And I will also write it that like if you have a hormone imbalance, you can get in and get out. And I explain to them, I'm like, look, if a woman has estrogen dominance and she's super irritable and she's like currently in that PMS phase and she reads this book and it's like, you have a problem. Now read 300 pages to get the solution. She's going to rip it in half and throw it across the room because we have all been there and they giggled and they were like, all right, we feel you. We got it. <laughs> For, it's like reading um, how to get your kid to sleep when you haven't slept in three years. And oh you're my like, God, Screw yes. you. I'm not reading this book. <laughs> That's the thing. I have such an issue with parenting and uh, pregnancy and postpartum books well if it's your first pregnancy like you can just sit there and read those books but you know when I was postpartum and that's why my first book is on postpartum health I need to go back and do like addition two. it's been a bit so we need to go back and um, do that it's still got tons of information in it but when I designed it I was like it needs to fit in a diaper bag it needs to be something you can hold in your hand without like getting carpal tunnel syndrome because you're also holding a baby at the same time. And it needs to get to the point because I was so frustrated when I would be like, oh, here. And at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of postpartum books. But when they would be like, let me just tell all these fluffy, wonderful stories. I'm like, I don't have time for that. I haven't slept. My boobs hurt. Like, what is going on here? Like, why? And like, 
there's some great like uh you know books that everybody praises out there I won't name them by name but you know I, I they are wonderfully written but they're like hundreds of women's stories trying to like inspire you and I got that like you might need that but like if you have mastitis or your kid won't latch or your vagina hurts like you don't want to read about that. You don't care. You do not care. So I think we need like, we need that variety in the market to meet everybody's needs. But like, um, I'm very much of just the person that's like, I need a solution. I need an answer like yesterday. Like I, I don't have time for all of that. Yeah. It's just like, tell me why I'm sad, swollen and exhausted, please. Yes. <laughs> don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Yeah. Um, all right, Dr. Bright. And it was such a pleasure and such an honor to have you on the show. I really, really appreciate you guys. Go check out all of her resources. You will learn so much and feel so inspired. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing in this world. We need more women standing together and doing this work for sure. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.